This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Amy Dunphy. Now, there are hard economic times on the way or possibly even here already. People, most people are concerned. They're intimidated and worried about what may come in terms of bills, energy bills. Food is a driver of the energy crisis to some extent, but people are worried about the price of food, inflation, of course, which is rising at a frightening rate, interest rates if you have a mortgage that isn't fixed. There are so many reasons why all of us are concerned and feeling some trepidation at the sudden, and it is relatively sudden, deterioration in the world's economic circumstances. And we're joined now by one of our best contributors and one of our most popular contributors, Chris Johns. Chris was the former uh, chief economist at the Bank of Ireland. He's now a very respected commentator and he joins us from London. Chris, the worry that we all have and that we know our families have about the state of the world economy really And yet we don't quite understand. For example, this morning in Britain, it was announced that from October, the cap on energy bills will be £3,549 sterling, but that could conceivably rise to five or 6,000 over the next 12 months or thereabouts. I mean, that is a terrifying figure. Is it likely to happen here? And how will British people, English people, deal with it? There are so many threads there, Eamon. I'll begin with what the news today has been, which is that the cap is rising to £3,549. That's in excess of €4,000. The word cap is very badly understood here, um, and I suspect elsewhere. What it is a cap on is the unit price of electricity that a supplier can charge a household for gas and for electricity. So per unit, per kilowatt hour, this is the amount that is set by the regulator. And how much a household actually ends up paying depends on how many units of electricity and gas it actually consumes. Yes. So if you live in a typical British house, which is poorly insulated with a large family, drafty windows, all that sort of thing, you could end up paying more than this supposed cap of £3,549. If you live in a well-insulated home and you're on your own, 
um, and you wear a lot of woolly jumpers, you could end up paying less than that. So the word cap is a bit of a misnomer. And it's, it's an average. And as anybody that's ever glanced at statistics know, averages conceal sometimes more than they reveal. But it is, at the end of the day, an 80% rise in one go for a typical household in the UK. And that's yeah. after they, there'd been a big rise earlier this year. This is not going just going to happen to the UK. It is happening everywhere else, including Ireland. And these give or take a few percentage points are the sorts of price rises that consumers in Ireland are going to be facing as well. Now, there are so many reasons behind this rise. And commentators, again, I think poorly understand or at least poorly explain just what is going on. Everybody begins and ends the explanation with the words, the war in Ukraine and Russia's decision to switch off the gas supplies principally to Germany, but Europe in general. There is about 20% of Russian gas compared to previous levels coming through, and it looks like it's going to be cut off at the end of this month, supposedly for maintenance of the Nord Stream pipeline, that famous pipeline between Russia and Germany. Um, but it looks as if it's a political move by Putin. And that's how people explain the basic rise in the cost of energy, which is perfectly true, but it isn't the whole picture. There's so many other things going on. Germany, for instance, is rapidly filling up its gas tanks, of which it has loads. The UK, for instance, doesn't. Um, one of the ways in which the UK has cocked up its energy security is by getting rid of all its gas storage and just relying on just-in-time supplies from the North Sea, from its own reserves in the North Sea, and from places like Norway. It doesn't actually take a lot of Russian gas, but it all ends up being dependent on the price being set by, Rus by Russia. Because Rus this is economic warfare being conducted by yeah. Russia. Germany is, is at the moment filling all of its gas tanks, which ironically used to be owned by Gazprom. And this raises the issue of just why Germany has got itself into this absolute mess in the first place. And it, it goes all the way back to, to the 1960s, when there was something, believe it or not, called pipeline politics. Um, which was uh, which morphed then into something called Ostpolitik, which was the attempt yes. by Germany to suck uh, Russia into yes. a peaceful, cooperative, mutually dependent relationship with Germany. And um, th th there was a famous meeting in, in, in 1970 in Essen, actually, between oil industry executives from both Russia and Germany and um, politicians, in which all of this was celebrated. And essentially... Uh, Germany supplied all the financing, all the money to build the pipelines, initially from Siberia, but ultimately from elsewhere, to what was then West Germany, um, supplied the money and supplied the engineering for the actual I, pipelines I think, themselves. Uh, was that Willy Brandt? It was, was the, Willy Brandt. Well done. Well, yeah, I remember Ostpolitik. It was precisely as you describe it. Sorry, continue. Yeah. So um, there was... He was, was a lefty. There were security issues raised at the time, although they weren't very well publicized. If you dig into this, and I've been doing a bit of digging for all sorts of strange reasons, um, NATO actually wrote a quiet letter to the German economics ministry saying, what's going on here? Why are you becoming so dependent on Russian gas? Yes. And the, the, the person from the economics ministry who responded to this letter promised NATO that Germany wouldn't take any more than 10% of its energy needs from Russia. 
uh, but it completely ignored that over subsequent years. And so it, at its peak, before these pipeline shutdowns, Russia was taking, was giving, uh, selling to Germany half of Germany's gas needs, a third of its oil, and half of its coal. So it right. became so essentially the German economic model from the 1960s onwards was was taking cheap Russian energy and turning them into turning that cheap energy into Mercedes and BMWs and other yes. high end engineering products, and that's yes. the German economic model. And the fear in financial markets, actually, one of the reasons why the euro, your currency, is so weak against the dollar, it's reached that iconic one-for-one one level this week, um, which is a big, big devaluation of the euro against the dollar, is that people fear that that German economic model of swapping cheap Russian energy to build um, fancy cars is, is fundamentally broken. So this has been going on for years. And the reason why they, they didn't honor that 10% promise, we think, is essentially because uh, the German government was lobbied by German industry for years to take more and more of this cheap gas. Industry wanted this cheap energy. Um, and so lots of lessons are being learned about this. And it's being seen, of course, as a huge strategic error. One of the things that happened was that the, the, all the gas tanks, all the gas storage facilities in Germany, as I mentioned, were owned by a Russian company, Gazprom, which are, are now, I think, being more or less appropriated by Germany, and they're filling them up. And what's happening on day-to-day -day markets is that Germany is buying gas at the moment from wherever it can get it, wherever in the world, um, from, from Asia, from the Middle East, from America, um, it's coming in liquid natural gas, for, for example, and filling these tanks. And this is contributing to, it's adding to the problems in the daily gas market, So, which is why the right. price on a daily basis, the price on a daily basis now, Eamon, is swinging around. The change in the gas price in wholesale markets is now bigger than gas used to cost in total this time last year. That's, right. how, that's how bad it is. Now, in terms of what this actually means for what people are going to pay, it's just, this is an economic crisis that I don't think has fully, certainly not um, entered the consciousness of the British body politic, it, because people just cannot pay this kind of money. If you don't have a mortgage, you're about to get one, is basically the idea yes. here in terms of the amounts of money. The average yes. mortgage um, in the UK is about 700 quid a month. And your gas bills in January through March, your gas and electricity bills combined could easily, on current pricing, be at that sort of level um, during the cold winter months. So lots going to depend on how cold the winter is, and there's lots of variables. But people are either getting a mortgage for the first time or actually getting a second mortgage now, most unexpectedly, and in a way that for, for many, many households, they simply do not have the cash. So the first problem is going to be poorer people don't have this kind of money. For anybody that does have this kind of money that is going to spend it, they most obviously, by arithmetic, are not going to be spending it on anything else. So it's a complete disaster for businesses that are exposed to discretionary spending. So pubs yes. and restaurants are really going to struggle for custom during the winter because people are not going to have the money to go out. The other thing to remember about the cap in the UK, and this is similar to other countries, is that it only applies to households. Businesses are already paying higher, much higher prices for their energy because it's that, that they, are, they are not subjected to the cap. So right. this is a disaster, not just from a customer point of view for businesses, but for the cost of the energy that they produce. So if you're a restaurant where you're using energy to cook, to heat, yes. to light, um, and to, to put beer through the pumps, you, the, your, the cost of doing your business has already gone through the roof and is going to go further through the roof, if I can say it that way. But you're not going to have any customers either. 
So it, it is an economic disaster all around him. And, he, and, and, and I don't think just how big a problem this is, is is fully appreciated. If you look at the campaign to be the next prime minister of the UK, for example, it barely figures. All Liz Truss says is that she's going to um, introduce a few tax cuts. Yeah, I mean, she, she's not a really credible figure. Let me ask you about Ireland and the degree to which we are in the same boat as the UK, despite the fact that we have some gas, I think, in the carb field. But I, I'm, I don't really understand how self-sufficient we, we are or if we're self-sufficient at all. But there is a logic to what you say. If the price of gas goes up, to these levels, then people have no money for anything else. Companies will have to lay people off. People won't be able to afford to buy food, never mind to spend money on other more exotic things like going out for meals or holidays or whatever. Have we ever seen anything like this? What looks, as you explain it, like a, a meltdown of the economic system have we seen it in recent times? Not in recent times. The, the, the nearest parallel we've got, and it's not a very close one, actually, despite it being cited all the time, because it's the only one we've got, is the, the two oil shocks of 1973 and 1979, yes. which was about oil, not gas, um, and was very focused on one energy market. It's all of our energy markets that's been affected by this. The price, the, the price of a barrel of oil at the moment is about $100, which at the current exchange rate is 100 euros. Um, and it doubled in 1973, and I think it trebled in 1979, something like that. The, the price of gas at the moment is equivalent to $1,000 a barrel for oil. That's how much it's gone right. up. Will Ireland be affected as badly as the UK? And if we are, do we have any fallback position? There are lots of things governments can do, but they're all incredibly difficult. Um, it's it's how you protect the poorer household and and yes. your wider economy, your, the costs of doing business. Well, Keir Starmer has just been on television talking about the British cap, which kicks in in October, as you said, at 3,549. He said, we're just not going to do it. Well, in, in many We're not going to allow them to have their, the energy companies to have their rise, but that too would have shall we say, unintended consequences or unknown consequences to people like me who are basically economically ignorant. The conventional wisdom amongst economists in the past, based on those oil shocks, is that it's best to let the system take the hit because if you, if you start taking measures to ameliorate the hit, it just prolongs the problem. And in many cases, case studies of the 1970s, the steps that were taken back then made that ultimately made the problem last longer and made, made it worse, actually. That conventional wisdom, because of the scale of this increase, is completely out of the window. Um, Keir Starmer is right that people cannot be uh, saddled with these bills because many people in the UK and in Ireland don't have that kind of money. As you say, we have forecasts that by January, that cap of £3,549 could be 6600 yes. One energy consultancy is forecasting that today. That's a five-fold increase on where we were this time last year. And as, as we say, and the, the way in which energy is priced is very complicated because of regulation in different markets. There are, there, there are similarities in regulation. There are sometimes big differences. And you might ask the question, well, if gas from the corridor field 
is coming out at, at, at a, uh, a cost of X. That cost of X hasn't risen at all. So why are we having to pay higher prices? It's because the market sets the price and, and the way in which it's regulated. You could, for example, pass a law and say that the, whoever's extracting the gas from Corp has to sell it at cost. I don't think that's very likely, but in theory, that's the sort of thing that you could do. The costs of producing wind and solar energy, of which particularly yes. wind, Ireland has a lot. So do lots of countries. The UK has a lot. Germany has a huge amount of wind, but they are able to charge the prices that the market is setting for the output, for the electricity that the wind is being generated. And there are lots of different ways this is done. In, in, in Ireland, there are all these things called contracts for differences. Um, weird financial instruments that and, and suggest that mean that some of the money will actually flow back into the system but essentially it's the market price of energy that determines what we pay not the cost of it being produced and that, yes. that that's that's where and trying to adjust that mechanism trying to interfere with the market pricing is where politicians will be focusing their attention and good luck because it, it is incredibly difficult and incredibly complicated but it wind the tape back to saying People don't have this money so that somehow or other they are either going to have to be given the money via some form of subsidy, some sort of public sector handout via, um, via the benefit system is probably the way I think they're going to end up doing it here in the UK, that people on benefits will not be subject to this kind of cap. But um, at the moment, the only proposal, firm proposal that we have in the UK is that each household is going to be given £400. That was announced a few months ago. It's now a drop in the bucket. It's completely inadequate and has all sorts of problems. Its virtue is that it's easy for them to do administratively, to give every household 400 quid. Um, but it means that um, uh, richer people get the same amount of money as poorer people. That has to stop now. Richer households are going to have to be told to take this on the chin. But then that raises the political problem, which will be present in all countries, including Ireland. Where do you draw the line? Who do you subsidise and who do you not? Yes. And the question arises also about you can give 400 to every household in the country, but you will have taken billions off companies, energy companies, where people's pension fund money is invested and other people have invested in good faith. So you'll be taking chunks out of people's pensions, out of companies' ability maybe even to trade for really making a gesture because 400 quid in the context of 3,549, which is the cap proposed this morning, is nothing. Yeah, so the sums of money that we're talking about to, to make a difference are, are really um, like the pandemic assistance that was given to the economy, the pandemic payments that were given for things like furlough, um, wage subsidy schemes, the, yeah. the, the, the sorts of tens of billions that every economy had to throw at it, um, take from the public purse and give to various sectors of the economy, that's going to have to be repeated. So the public borrowing bill is going to shoot up in every country that attempts to soften the blow. And every country is going to have to soften the blow. There's no, there's no doubt in my mind at all that there's an awful lot of public borrowing coming down the pipe over the next year or two to, to soften this blow. And it, it's the design, the mechanism, the, the design of the mechanism whereby you do this now, the, the profits of these companies, you make the point that you know, we're, we're invested in them via our pension funds, which is absolutely right. But these companies, the, again, the conventional wisdom was that you, know, you, you should let the market operate, you should 
uh, not tax windfall profits and all that kind of stuff because of the arguments that you you rightly raise. This is is of a scale now that those arguments are, are out of the window as well, Eamon, along with the other ones that right. I men- mentioned earlier. These windfall profits, um, and again, it's poorly understood in the UK. We tend to blame here the people that send us our bills through through the post or via email. And these companies that distribute energy are not the ones making typically making the profits. It's actually the people that are digging and pumping the stuff out of the ground, the BPs, the shells of this world. They're the ones who are making excess profits. And in this new pragmatic world that we live in, those excess profits, one way or another, are going to have to be taxed in order to at least pay for part of this bill that is coming our way. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Now, let me ask you a question about fossil fuels and fracking. Liz Truss, who is one of the two people along with Rishi Sunak, seeking to be the next prime minister. She seems the more likely of the two by far. She doesn't look, I want to be careful here, she doesn't look to me to be the most economically literate person in the world or indeed the most persuasive on these matters. She said she's going to give tax breaks and that, but she really, she's not very credible in the way she presents her case. But I want to ask you about the difference between the European Union and the UK in terms of an effective effort to protect people from what are excessive amounts of money. 6,000 you speculated there, and others have as well. I've been watching it, this discussion going on for a while now, and the Bills are beyond the means of 
most people. So can the EU, for example, manage this better than the UK? Or are all governments now and all politicians helpless in the face of this, either because they're ignorant, not too bright, economically illiterate, and also want to pander to the electorates? Well, Macron, for example, is making the kind of speech at the moment on a daily basis that all politicians in all countries should be making, but they're not. He nationalised it, didn't he? Yes, he's nationalised the main electricity company. um, And, of course, he has sat on prices, electricity prices produced by the nuclear industry, sat on prices of uh, petrol and diesel charged at the pumps in, in ways that Britain and Ireland have not done. But he's also in those speeches talking. Is he about, right in your view? Yeah, he is. I think so. You have all governments are going to have to do this one way or the other. We're, the only thing we're going to end up debating is the mechanism that they choose to subsidise people in in terms of meeting these bills, um, because otherwise the economic consequences will be catastrophic. They're going to be bad enough as it is. But if you want to turn a, an economic crisis into a catastrophe, the answer is do nothing. Um, they, yes. And so, therefore. They, ha- they will do something. Um, the, the only thing we, we debate is just what they're going to do. And you're asking, who seems to be the most competent? Well, Macron is telling people that in order to support Ukraine properly, we're all going to have to make sacrifices. And that's absolutely right. The point about sacrifice is, is absolutely the right one to make. And people aren't being told enough about the sacrifices, particularly richer people, richer yeah. households. And, and so he's preparing the French people for a, um, a very difficult winter, possibly a very difficult couple of winters. The Belgian, I think it's the Belgian prime minister, has been talking about a very difficult decade. Um, yeah. So European politicians are making proper speeches, talking about the sacrifices that we're all going to have to make in, in the face of this economic war that Putin is waging on us. Now, again, the different countries will have different levels of competence when it comes to this very tricky question of mechanism design. But uh, I think Europe is ahead of the UK in this regard, because as I say, in the UK, we just don't know what they're going to do. There's been no hint from either candidate of what they are going to do to address this problem. We do but know Boris, that- is, Boris Johnson, the prime minister, has been on holiday. On holiday. He seems to have stopped work altogether. Nobody knows who the Chancellor of the Exchequer is, and he doesn't appear to be out and about making speeches. I mean, Britain is in an extraordinary situation, Chris. It's not what I should be asking you, but how on earth can you suspend government for a couple of months while Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak wander around Britain making fools of themselves every night, tearing strips off each other in order to enter Downing Street, where after two months off, the government may, well, have to kickstart itself into life again. Well, I mean, we, Britain is a big country. We, we, have a, we have a problem because we don't have a government, as you rightly say, and every question is, wait for the, is answered with wait for the new prime minister. Um, you might have noticed that while I was talking about Macron, that Liz Truss has also been talking about Macron. She was asked a, a direct question. Yes, she was. Is he a friend or a foe? And, she's, and, and, she's, and she, didn't, she answered that very, very badly. Why pick a fight with Macron? It's the old-fashioned, you know, this Tory yeah. government has gone absent without leave oh, yeah. and yeah. In, in so many different ways. And, and that picking a fight with Macron thing is just one small example of the, the absence of really adult supervision. Yes. In Westminster. 
And it's a desperate state of affairs, which leads me to think that, you know, the the problems of designing how we're going to deal with all of this are being neglected. I can only hope that the the much maligned civil service, because the other thing that both of them do daily in these stump speeches is traduce the civil service and accuse them of all sorts of weird and wonderful things. But one hopes that the civil service is coming up with a design because whoever wins, when Liz Truss wins this election in the next couple of weeks, within hours, she is going to be presented with the plans being drawn up by various civil servants about how she is going to subsidize households. That's coming. As I keep saying, the the only thing that we don't know is what is coming. But she will, despite all her words to the contrary, be announcing big dollops of public sector cash to help people. And so we we know the principle, we just don't know the design. The answer she gave finally to the Macron question was whether she could do business with him or not, or like him. She said, the jury is out, which just came to me there in the middle. The question was, is he a friend or a foe? Yes, and the jury... The jury uh, is out. This this woman is is still, believe it or not, the foreign secretary. She is, yeah. And to say that uh, one of your closest allies the jury is out on whether they are friend or foe. I mean, did she think that she was speaking about Putin? I've no idea, but I've no idea what goes through her mind. Let me ask you a final question, Chris, about something that has been well flagged in the Financial Times and on the financial pages of newspapers. It's taking place in Jackson's Hole in Wyoming. Jay Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve in the United States, is going to make it what is deemed to be a very important speech there. This is an annual conference, I think, that is for the world's central bankers. And they will, all the influential ones, will be there. And he will make his speech today. How much of a difference does what the United States and the chairman of the Federal Reserve do in terms of this crisis? And how closely is he listened to? And how much can central bankers influence what we are now facing? In normal circumstances, this would be the event of the week, of the month. And in, in central bank, financial market world, um, it's the event of the year. As you say, it's the annual symposium of the world's central bankers in a, in a beautiful, um, what is normally a ski resort in the winter in, 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 the, in the United States. And the keynote speech made by the chairman of the Federal Reserve is always a market-moving event. And it's particularly acute this year because the markets um, really need to know how much U.S. interest rates, and therefore everybody's interest rates at the end of the day, because we're all influenced by what the Federal Reserve does, um, directly via interest rates, but also indirectly by the effect that they then have on all sorts of financial markets. For instance, in the United States, interest rates have already gone up. We're looking to Jay Powell today to give us a hint about how much further they are likely to go up. Already, things like the housing market in the United States is showing signs of uh, stress. Um, the, the, it's, a, it's another bit of a housing bubble going on in terms of house prices. We're familiar with the concept here in the UK, and you have your own house price issue in, in, yes. in Ireland. Um, it's, it, because of higher interest rates, the housing market is going to be affected, and, and possibly badly, depending on how high interest rates go. And that's going to affect housing in the United States. It already is. And it's going to affect housing here in the UK and there where you are in Ireland as well. And for all other financial and other asset markets, they're really, really driven at the end of the day by interest rates. So it couldn't be more important. 
We're talking about other things that are actually more important at the moment, but it, the future of interest rates is going to affect us all. Um, the effect won't be as big as this energy crisis, I suspect, but it is vitally important to know just how much interest rates are going to go up next month and over the next few months in the United States, because the same question is being asked here in Europe. The interest rate thing affects all sorts of things, as I said, including, for example, that exchange rate that I mentioned. You've had a big devaluation yeah. of the euro this year, mostly because U.S. interest rates are going up at a much faster rate than European interest rates. But it's also linked to the energy crisis as well. Everything is linked to everything else. The reason why interest rates are going up, of course, is because of the energy crisis, because it's fueling inflation. But the problem that central bankers have is that they can put interest rates up as much as they like, but that will <laughs> putting interest rates up will not get the gas price down. And this no. is the fundamental dilemma that they face: that how far are they going to drive their economies into slowdown or even recession in order to curb curb overall inflation that particularly in Europe is being driven mostly by energy prices. Interest right. rates don't really have anything to do with oil or gas prices. Let me ask you a final question, Chris. Have you in your life ever seen before the number of problems that the world economy is facing and at the same time the geopolitical conflicts between West and the authoritarian elements in the world, of course, Putin, but also the Chinese, the Middle East, and even you can see in Europe with Viktor Orban and Hungary, and the potential collapse of the center in the Italian election, which is going to take place next month, and the possible return of neo-fascism to Italy. Have you ever in your life seen so much that is so dangerous and uncertain? I can't remember in the re in re as an adult uh, being so worried about the, the sheer number of problems that are affecting the world economy. Yes. Um, I was a child during the peak of the Cold War, and I do remember being shown um, films and other uh, pieces of literature about hiding under your desk in the, in the face of a nuclear attack and the British government sending households iodine tablets through the post, crazy <laughs> things like that. And I guess that if I hadn't been a child, I would have been extremely worried uh, to think about the consequences of that. So we, I'm tempted to say, absolutely, this is the most worrying time that I've ever lived through. But I, I have to sort of check my history when I yeah. think about that and think about the things that I have actually lived through when I was much Let older. me ask you another, a different question. How long will it last? This one's going to last for a long time, Eamon, and it's, it's going to twist and turn in predictable and unpredictable ways. The, the, the one thing that's going to happen to energy prices is that they are going to stay incredibly volatile. And one of the weird things that we might live through over the next year or two is, is a sudden collapse in energy prices for all sorts of strange market-related reasons. And how we deal with that is going to be very interesting. Remember, it wasn't that long ago that the oil price was actually negative. Yes. Um, so, volatility. So, I'll, I'll, I'll read you something that um, a very, very smart, astute commentator, a guy called Martin Sandu, he's a brilliant economist who writes for the Financial Times. And he said this week the one certainty is that governments will have to become and remain much more involved in shaping the structure of the energy economy, not just in terms of fiscal support, but in terms of managing the consequences of extreme volatility. Um, 
throw in the need for greater grid investment and coordination between countries and the public and private sector in preparing for a shift to renewables-based system because we have the, the, the environmental crisis as well, and the contours of an energy system permanently shaped by politics become clear. So this is a brand new world. All these market mechanisms that we've devised for energy, they're out the window, as I've suggested. So this that's just one one aspect of, of the crisis that we face. And the question that you ask that I think worries me most is our governments up to this task, as brilliantly described by Sanbu there. The, the particular thing that worries me about the UK is all of that. If you add in the incompetent administration that we've got, yeah. because the crisis, yeah. the, crisis, the series of crises that we face here go much broader than that. We have a the worst crisis ever in the, in the health system. If you pick up a British newspaper at any point, you will see an article written about how nothing in, is works in Britain anymore, from public yeah. to private sector. There's all sorts of mini crises going on here in the UK. I think one of the worst countries in the world in Europe that is from a managerial government perspective is, is the UK, because here everything is going wrong, not just this energy problem. Okay, Chris, as always, fascinating to talk to you. We should add perhaps a final word. Much of, and I mentioned briefly, fossil fuels, much of what is required at the moment is not going to do anything to help people reach their climate change and carbon emission targets. But we'll talk about that another day. We're very grateful indeed to Chris Johns for his commentary every week. Grateful to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.